Hi, and welcome to Blind Traveller, the podcast channel which I set up, hopefully, to inspire blind and visually impaired people to continue travelling despite their sight loss. About 20 years ago, I was diagnosed with a genetic version of macular dystrophy, a degenerative condition resulting in the loss of my central vision and the ability to reach to see faces or recognise people, to not being able to read, and most importantly for me, was the ability to drive. My driving licence effectively went with my sight. Despite being diagnosed around 20 years ago, I've always had poor eyesight, and on diagnosis, diagnosis I found out why. I guess at the time, my sight was just within the parameters to serve in the military, and also before they had the access to, to things like retinal scans, that sort of thing. So for me, I was a bit fortunate if, if that's possible, despite losing your sight. So despite losing my sight, what I'm going to do is I'm going to share some of my travel experiences. I've travelled by air, rail, bus, bike, sea, all sorts of travel, and still be managed, still managed to do that despite being visually impaired. So what I'll do is I'll also offer reviews on countries, cities, restaurants, bars, and all the attractions will go with those places. Some of them will be pretty good, and some will be pretty awful. But for me, that's what travel's all about, the good and the bad. There'll be lots of golf resorts, because golf's one of my passions, which I'll talk about later. Um, and some of those golf resorts are going to be pretty unusual. Um, one instance of that, Pakistan, for example. Hardly the RNA, but it's some pretty good golf out there all the same. I haven't played a decent level of football and cricket at combined services level, once my sight went to such a point, it made it pretty impossible to do any of those two things. When I decided to start having a go at golf, it became a lot easier because when you think about it, if I'm playing cricket or football, the ball's actually moving. The difference with golf is the ball's standing still, waiting for me to hit it. So since I lost my sight, um, I've managed to become one of the top blind golfers in the world. So I've won events in South Africa, Canada, two US Opens, a few European wins and a third place finish at the recent World Championships in Japan. So really, this has given me lots of opportunities to travel. Um, my website, www.blindgolfer.co.uk and www.blindtraveller.co.uk also explain a bit more. So one of the good things again about certainly disabled sport now is a lot of these sports, there's a pathway literally from starting off, beginning, and just starting to take part and get used to the thing, right up to international level. Certainly that's the case with golf. I started about 10, 15 years ago with golf when my site went and literally progressed right through the UK tournaments and playing all over the world now. And obviously the only thing that stops that is resources and money. So again, what I want to do on this podcast is I want to post some videos from many of the places I've been to on the podcasts. Um, I'm going to talk, talk to some pretty inspirational blind and visually impaired people who I've met over the years. But really the focus isn't going to be about what they've done so much as what they love about travel and where their favourite places have been. And once COVID departs and we'll get back to some sort of normality, I'm going to be hosting some on-location podcasts. And for those people who are visually impaired, I'll also include a great deal of audio descriptive content. What I mean by that is, instead of just describing where I am, I'll be putting in a lot more content. So, you know, you can be visually impaired and listen to what's going on, as well as watch some of the videos and stuff that I'll also be posting. So for me, um, my love of travel started probably about 30 years ago, um, shortly after joining the Royal Air Force as a kid, pretty much straight from school. Um, and after about 18 months in the Air Force, um, 
18 years old at the time. I got my first posting. That was to Belize in Central America. Somewhere I pretty much hadn't heard of at the time. I was an 18-year-old. Um, it was my flight out to Belize, what was pretty interesting. Um, it was the 13th time I'd ever flown in an aircraft. However, when I landed in Belize, it was only the first time I'd actually landed. Work that one out. The reason behind that was um, the previous 12 times, the first 12 times I'd actually flown, I jumped from the aircraft as part of a parachute training course I'd done. So it was lucky 13 on landing for me. Um, despite what you hear about on the TV from the likes of Ross Kemp on gangs and these sort of TV series, Belize is just pretty much known for all my awesome place. To the east of Belize, you got the Caribbean Sea, um, with Mexico just a bit further up to the north, and Guatemala to the west and south. So it's pretty much surrounded by two countries and the Caribbean Sea. One of the reasons the British forces were in um, Belize is the fact that it, Guatemala have always had a territorial claim to Belize, given that it's next door to it. Um, so being a Commonwealth country as it was in them days, Belize, two Harrier jump jets and a large army detachment sort of persuaded Guatemala not to attempt using military force to support its claim. Guatemala apparently did come close to um, using uh, using um, military force to state its claim. However, they never did. And now, in fact, it's got a democratic, a democratic government and most of the British forces have left Belize. And they did so, you know, a good few years ago. They still do some training there, but predominantly um, Guatemala now poses no threat due to this democratic government. So most of my time at the t- when I was out there was, was spent in Mexico to the north. It was literally a two-hour bus ride from airport camp heading north and near the Belizean-Mexican border. Border town was Chatamal was pretty much the first introduction to Mexico. It was also my first introduction to what's now known as um, foreign exchange. After a few visits to the border, what I realised was if I took American dollars with me, um, which I could get from the army cashier at airport camp, which is where we were based, I could change the dollars into Mexican pesos at the border, getting a far better rate than I would for Belizean dollars. Then I'd go off to Mexico, have a great weekend, return to the border and change them back into Belizean dollars because the Belizean dollar was not as worth not as much as the American dollar. So effectively, by the time I got back to Belize, took my American dollars with me, brought my Belizean back, I hadn't spent a great deal. Then I'd pop along to the Belize City Bank in Belize, Belize City itself and, and change them back into pounds. So effectively, I'd spent nothing and had a brilliant weekend for that. I managed a few good trips to Mexico during my time there. And every time I went initially, I would take quite a few US dollars with me. Um, probably more than I needed, far more than I needed, in fact. And um, used to get these dollars from a very nice cashier back at airport camp. That's amazing long weekends in Mexico. Same process, taking American into pesos, back from pesos to Belizean dollars, Belize City Bank, and away I would go. I suppose being young, my thoughts weren't particularly about making any money on that. They were more about just having good weekends. Um, and I mean, in those days, there really was a potential to make a lot of money, but it wasn't until the cashier realised what I was doing and stopped me doing it. Mexico was amazing. Um, I spent most of my weekends in Chatamol and then on Tamirida, um, which was all part of the Yucatan region. But on my two-week break at mid-tour, I had a full two weeks to go and explore the, the country even better. So from Chatamol, from the border, um, we got a couple of buses to Mexico City, which is about 1,400 kilometres away. The Mexico City to Acapulco route was fantastic. Um, you come from probably one of the highest cities in the world in Mexico City. You drop down into the, the main basin and then back up some hills and mountains on the other side before dropping into Acapulco Bay again. So when we went, it was in the dark, so it was all lit up. 
and it really was stunning just coming over the top of the hills. I mean, that was that was 20 years ago now, but the problem with it now is obviously the drug wars were going on. Um, when I went, it was literally just rich Americans, um, A-listers, just partying. But like anything, things change over the years, and unfortunately now it's not one of the most um, pleasant places on the planet due to the drugs. At the, at the moment, Mexico is safe in most parts, but like any travel destination, you need to do your research. Certainly for me being visually impaired, one of the biggest problems I have is, is just coming into problems, not being able to read things. So it's important for anybody who's visually impaired who does want to travel just to do the, do the research and find out as much information now before you get there. And it makes things a lot easier when you do get there. So after about six months in Belize, I reluctantly left and headed back to the UK. Having said that, I had two great years in Scotland up in Kinloss, um, which I really enjoyed. So my next trip, when I left Kinloss about two years later, um, was Ascension Island, where you're probably thinking I did as well. Ascension Island's just a volcanic island, about six miles wide by about six miles long. And it's just south of the equator, about a thousand kilometres from the nearest piece of land, which is St Helena, that's to the east. And then a further thousand miles further on from that, you've got the coast of South Africa. Um, to the west, about 1,500 kilometres away, you've got South America. It really is a remote piece of paradise. The weather that have been on the equator is fantastic. Um, and it's literally home to about five, 600 people. Um, some of those are the Air Force Detachment who literally serve the Falkland Islands. Um, and trips down there. It's literally a staging post. It's about halfway between the UK and the Falklands. So when the Falklands all kicked off in 82, um, Ascension Island became the, the staging post for that. So the island itself was pretty much um, RAF personnel serving the Falklands and serving the transition to the Falklands. And it's an, also a NASA detachment there. They used the island before the British got there. They still do now, in fact. Uh, there was a lot of Americans there when we were there. What it's for is pretty much is for an emergency shuttle landing. They've got about 15 of these across the planet. So when shuttles leave space, heading back towards Earth, if they're out by a degree or two, they could be thousands and thousands of miles off course away from where they're meant to land. So Ascension's pretty much one of these reserve airfields, if you like, just in case. So apart from your, your uh, military and NASA personnel on the island, um, you also had a few locals um, who basically just supported both the RAF and the American service, well, NASA personnel anyway. But despite that, there was quite a bit to do on the island. Um, we had a cinema, believe it or not, on the island. Um, a couple of football pitches, which would give the English a chance to, to batter the Americans at football. And there was also a few volleyball courts where the Americans could get their own back because the British are actually crap in volleyball compared to the Americans. It's, it's basically the national sport. So that was quite good. And a few other businesses who got a lot of South African goods over to the island what was still quite cheap, but apart from that, um, that was it in terms of what was there. One of the big things about Ascension is probably the beaches. Being a, a, an island about six miles by six miles long, it literally had some fantastic beaches, just deserted, because nobody tended to use them. One of those beaches was a breeding place for green turtles, which they'd come onto the beach and lay their eggs and make however many times a year they'd done that, bury them. And then it was like one of these Attenborough things where you just see these baby turtles running from under the under the um, the mother turtle back to the sea without trying to get um, eaten by seagulls. I think the green turtles must have been a bit clever because they attempted to do it at night and they'd make the run during the night and straight to the water. But it was just a fantastic thing to see and just to watch these tiny turtles just running down the beach in the dark was just phenomenal. Something I'll never forget. And Ascension was just simply a fantastic six month, which to get the chance to get back there would be amazing. But 
not much chance of that, I don't think, in the near future. So I left the, the Air Force after seven years, um, enjoyed the travel and that sort of things, but it was time to move on, I guess. And just after leaving that, I spent a four-month contract on the QE2, which was quite good, lots of travel on there. Um, work was really hard, long hours and stuff while you would see, but it was probably worth it given some of the great places the ship stopped at. All over Europe, the US, predominantly down the East Coast, and a lot of Caribbean islands, as most cruise liners do. I eventually settled in London for about 15 years, and again, my time in London was fantastic, because just as I got there, um, the advent of the low-cost airlines started. So made the most of that one, and pretty much every odd weekend I'd be away somewhere in Europe, because it was actually cheaper to go to a lot of Eastern Bloc European countries than it was to stay in London. It was something I'd done for a while, and it was really good. Despite enjoying London, it was there where I was actually diagnosed with macular dystrophy. I literally had a visit to my opticians. They couldn't correct my sight to what they should be able to. Um, weren't happy with it. Sent me to a doctor's. Um, got referred to, luckily it was Moorfields Hospital at the time, which was probably the, the leading eye hospital in the world. And they diagnosed me with macular dystrophy, something I'd actually never heard of. Um, from there, from the diagnosis, my sight did actually deteriorate quite quickly to the point where I'm now registered blind which is known as severely sight impaired, or in the States and abroad, it tends to be known as legally blind. So I've got about 3% of my sight left, um, and most of that's made up peripheral because pretty much all my central vision, which is the ability to read, um, see faces, identify things, that's that's gone now. So the only way I can read now is with um, magnifiers and electronic gadgets and those sort of things. So that was quite a shock, but as you say, life goes on. I suppose one of the downsides of not being able to see much is the limitations. And for me, it was really the driving which crippled me. Having young family, kids, couldn't take them anywhere, couldn't drive. So I relied on public transport at the time, which in London wasn't bad, to be honest. It was quite good. Um, couldn't play football or cricket, but the golf was quite useful because I, I use a yellow yellow golf ball, um, which is all be that's a bit fuzzy and it's about the size of a pea. Um, but with it being yellow and a little bit fuzzy, I can just about see that when I bend over to hit it. And the best thing is the ball doesn't move. Um, I can read with magnification. Um, a lot of the magnification has speech recognition. And again, over the years, that's come on a lot. But it's this sort of thing which really helps me travel. And I think probably most importantly for me, I've never given up on a travel because I'm quite stubborn when it comes to that. And I like to prove I can still do things. And again, that's what the whole point of these podcasts are, just to prove to people that you can still do it. Yeah, you have some ups and downs. It does get quite tough at times, but, you know, it is what it is. You just get on with it. I think anybody will tell you who has a significant disability, you get good times and you get some really dark times. But in a strange way, I was quite lucky because um, I had three kids, mortgage, family. So for me, quitting work wasn't an option. I had to just carry on. Um, I was, however, retired from my job in teaching because in those days, um, they just didn't have the resources and the uh, equipment what we have now. Um, so that was quite tough. 70% salary reduction straight away and just had to try and find work, which I didn't particularly want to do in terms of the jobs what was offered. But for a blind guy who couldn't do a great deal, I didn't have much choice. And with a mortgage still to pay, again, it was just something I had to do. I suppose one of the good things, if there is a good thing about losing your sight, is I've got a lot of friends now who are all visually impaired. Um, and like myself, they've done all sorts of things to cope with that because, as I say, you do get some good times and some bad times. Um, and really it's, it's just a case of getting on with it. I think I've had to, some people haven't, I've found through, through friends and, um, other people I know it's, it's often better just to keep yourself busy and do stuff where I've had to through kids and family. I know a lot of my friends who lost their sight, lost their jobs and struggle to get anything else or don't want to get anything else. 
that, that do have a lot more dark times. Um, so again, for me, it's just about picking something out. I mean, what I'm going to be doing with these these podcasts is just showing you that you can travel, but I'm also going to be doing some stuff on um, site impairment, things like cooking. Um, I still cook, not a great deal, not as much as I could, but on some of the videos, what we're going to be doing over the coming months is I'll be able to show you safe and easier ways to cook some basic meals. And it, it's just using the resources that are around you. So for me, um, you can go on, you should go on. And it's not a case of um, waiting for people to help you, just get up and get on with it. Um, so over the last 20 years, I guess, I've done a lot of travelling, which I've thoroughly enjoyed, and I've been able to do that. But the main thing for me is the people I've met. I've met some truly inspirational people um, who obviously it's some of these I'll try and talk to over the coming months. At the end of the day, you've just got to get on with things. I mean, I now work for a charity supporting blind veterans, which I love because you're sharing your experiences and how that makes a difference to not just myself, but all these other people. And it's quite a community almost. There's a lot of people who get together and chat about the frustrations, talk about new equipment, what comes on the market. So it's, it's really good to get involved and keep involved. So in terms of the podcast, I hope to continue traveling and share my experiences Mostly via Patreon, because obviously that's a small subscription site where anything what comes into the site via the uh, Patreon subscription, it'll go straight back into travel and setting up more podcasts for people who've got disabilities and hopefully getting them inspiring. So also on the Patreon subscription channel, which I'm going to be getting out soon, um, there's going to be an option to view photographs and videos for those who can have the ability to see them. And also... There'll be the upcoming on location podcasts, which will be quite good because they'll be actually from where it's taking place, not just a, an offshoot of past experiences. And probably one of the, one of these ones where I'm going to be doing is I've actually got tickets for the 150th open, which takes place in St. Andrews in the summer. And I'll hopefully be, um, doing podcasts live from the open. So Patreon's obviously my first preference for people to view because it gives us a chance to put things back in, put all the subscriptions back into the, the site and travel and just expand this and give more and more people the chance to travel and get them involved. Um, I will, however, still post on some of the free podcast sites with all the work um, on a YouTube channel, which will be coming soon again. And again, I've got two websites relating to travel and golf, um, www.blindtraveller.co.uk and www.blindgolfer.co.uk. Check them out. Feel free to check out all of your podcasts on all the sites and hopefully I'll catch up with you soon.